an impartial uh, viewer, one that, that's watching what's going on. And he records it impartially. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't, uh, argue for one side or the other. He, he just states the facts and he moves on. But before we get to those facts, we, we've been away from Acts for the past 10 weeks. Hard to believe for me. It's hard to believe it's been 10 weeks. So I think we need a little refresher to get us to caught up to where we are in the book of Acts. You remember after Jesus was crucified and, and after he rose again on the third day, then, then he spent a period of time with his, with his closest disciples, uh, in his resurrected body before he ascended into heaven. So he spent this time with his, with his disciples. And at the end of that period of time, at the end of that 40 days, Jesus gave them a command. And that command is the same command that he gave to us. That command he gave to us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right before he ascended into heaven, Jesus gave us this command. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Now you can take that verse right there as an outline for what happens throughout the rest of the book of Acts. And we've been seeing that progression as we've moved along. Acts chapter 2, uh, chapters 2 through 7, it describes the growth of the church, the birth of the church, and the growth of the church through Jerusalem, and how they attracted folks from Judea into the church. Now during that time, that church at Jerusalem experienced tremendous growth, but it wasn't doing a good job of reaching outside of its walls. It was reaching Jerusalem and it was doing a good job of drawing in Judea, but Samaria and the ends of the earth, man, that's hard. And, and they hadn't quite been able to cross into that barrier. They were staying within their walls, which is so much easier to do. Samaria is different. People didn't look like them, they didn't talk like them, they didn't act like them, but Jesus commanded them to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, even if it is difficult, even if they don't act like us and think like us and talk like us. But they failed to go, didn't they? And when they failed to go, Jesus gave them a command, and he was going to make sure that command happened. So he scattered them. You remember how he scattered them? with persecution, didn't he? Stephen, their beloved deacon, was killed. And that scared the people in the church so much that they began to scatter to avoid the persecution. They scattered throughout the area, starting with Samaria in Acts chapter 8, all the way through the first part of Acts chapter 11. So we have Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria through Acts chapter 11. Then starting in Acts chapter 11, the church at Antioch, which was formed out of that scattering, the church at Antioch starts to take over the main focus. The main focus shifts from the church at Jerusalem to the church at Antioch. That takes over the lead part of the narrative throughout the rest of the book. And God used the church at Antioch to plant churches throughout the rest of the known world. That was how we got from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, the ends of the known earth at that time. Now remember that church at Antioch? They called, uh, they, they, they formed as a church, but then they needed a pastor, so they sent down to Jerusalem and they called a man named Barnabas to come and be their pastor. And Barnabas immediately reached out for help for a co-pastor. He reached out to Tarsus, went to Tarsus, and found a man named Paul to come alongside him as pastor. 
Uh, Paul wasn't trusted. He was still feared because he had been a persecutor of the church. But Barnabas took him under his wing to lead, to help lead the church in Antioch. And then starting in Acts chapter 13, God raised up three more co-pastors in the church at Antioch just so that he could send Barnabas and Paul off to plant churches throughout Cyprus and throughout Galatia. Now, planting the churches throughout Cyprus and Galatia, that takes us up to where we are now. That trip where they planted churches throughout Cyprus and Galatia, we know that as the first missionary journey. Now, we covered the first missionary journey in detail. We talked about Cyprus and Perga and Pisidia and Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. Probably some of you still have the maps tucked in uh, the the flyleaf of your Bible. Guess what? Starting next week, we'll have another map to stick in there uh, for the second missionary journey, which is where we're starting this week. We'll cover it more in detail next week. Now, of course, there's lots of important things that happen along the way, but there are two important things that happened during that first missionary journey that I need to remind you of. And that really lays the foundation for where we are this morning. Sometime, somewhere along the way, the pecking order changed. In, in Greek sentences, when they have a list of things, whatever is listed first in that list is most important or highest rank. And all the way up until you get to Acts chapter 15, up until you get to here, it was Barnabas and Paul. Always Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. But then somewhere along the way in that first missionary journey, it shifts to Paul and Barnabas. So there was a a shift in in the leadership. Barnabas went from number one chair to number two chair. Paul went from his understudy to his leader. He went from a Padawan learner to a Jedi. (laughs) Some of y'all had no idea what I'm talking about. Some of y'all are like, that's an illustration I can get. (laughs) He went from an apprentice to a master. Now that shift is subtle and you, and you only see it through a careful, a careful reading. But what you see is that Paul was growing in that apostolic leadership position that God had called him to all the way back in Acts chapter nine. He was growing into that. Now the second, that's the first thing that I want to remind you of. The second thing I want to remind you of is what happened to John Mark. You remember John Mark, John Mark was Barnabas's cousin. And they met up when, when Paul and Barnabas went down to, or went up to Jerusalem, down on the map, up in elevation. When they went down to Jerusalem, uh, they met up with John Mark. John Mark went back with them to Antioch. And John Mark went with them on that first missionary journey. He was Barnabas' younger cousin. He accompanied them on that trip. The problem was, was when, you know, they started off their journey on the island of Cyprus. When they left the island of Cyprus and went to the more difficult part, back to the mainland, John Mark kind of lost heart, right? He was with them as long as they were in Cyprus, but then as soon as they crossed the water, he kind of lost heart. Maybe it was because he missed home, whatever the reason, we don't really know why. But John Mark was a very young man. He probably got homesick. Regardless, he bailed on them. And that takes us to our passage this morning. Paul and Barnabas 
had returned home from that first missionary journey. They had spent time recharging and refreshing there in Antioch at their home church. Now, they had to deal with some doctrinal issues with the Jerusalem church, but by and large, they spent their time there preaching and refreshing and recharging. And now it's time for them to head back out. Let's pick up the narrative in verse 36, chapter 15, verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, that some days, that's an indefinite amount of time. We don't know if it was a long period of time or if it was, it's just, you know, what it says. After a period of time, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Well, after spending time with their local church, after spending time getting refreshed and recharged, it was time to get back at it. God called them to be on mission, so it was time for them to get back on it. And the first thing that Paul wanted to do was to go back to retrace their steps only backwards uh, across the churches that they had already planted. They wanted to go back to those folks and see how they were doing, make sure that they were okay, make sure that heresy hadn't crept in, make sure that they were doing well and they were staying true to the gospel. Paul, basically, Paul wanted to do in their presence what he does for us through his letters and what he would do for them later on through his letters. He wanted to encourage and exhort and rebuke and train up in righteousness. The point here is Barnabas and Paul were doing exactly what they were supposed to be doing. They were going on mission exactly. They were perfectly in obedience to what God wanted them to do. So what went wrong? If they were doing exactly what they were supposed to do, what went wrong? Look at verses 37 through 38. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. <laughs> we got a problem, don't we? Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them, and Paul refused. When verse 37 says that Barnabas wanted to take him, and when verse 38 says that Paul thought best not to take him, those, both of those verbs are, not to get too much in the, in the weeds, but both of those verbs are imperative, or imperfect indicatives. That, that means that they were nagging about it. They were repeatedly, continually insisting on getting their own way. Barnabas was saying, take him, take him, take him. Paul was saying, "Uh uh-uh, no, no, not going to. It was a continual, they were at each other about this. And each of them had a good point, didn't they? I mean, you think about it. Think think about where you would be in in that argument. Barnabas saw another opportunity for discipleship. He saw an opportunity to invest in a young man who had shown some immaturity in the past, but seemed to be repentant and seemed to be learning and growing from it. Barnabas was interested in discipleship. Paul saw another opportunity for disappointment. That boy had already failed him once. They had already wasted a bunch of money taking him with them and then having to send him home. Wasted a bunch of time. And Paul was not going to give him the opportunity to waste that kind of energy and resources again. Barnabas saw the potential in a person. 
Paul saw the potential for a problem. So who was right in wanting to take John Mark with them? Uh, we scholars debate about this, and that's one of those things people have fun debating about. I'll tell you what I think. I think Barnabas was wrong. I mean, I'm sorry. I think Barnabas was right in wanting to take John Mark with them. But whoever was right in their desire, both of them, Paul and Barnabas, were wrong in their execution. And what we end up with is a sad chapter in the history of the church. Look at verse 39. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Isn't that heartbreaking? There arose a sharp disagreement. Now, in case, you know, you have these, these, um, uh, these Sunday school flannel graph pictures in your mind where these two guys are, you know, all hands folded and having a, no, I don't think so. Having that kind of a disagreement. They weren't. This was, that word sharp disagreement is, it's the, it comes from the Greek word where we get the word paroxysm from. That's not a real common word that we use a lot, but the word paroxysm, if you look that up in the dictionary, it is a violent expression of a particular emotion or activity, a violent expression of emotion. Bottom line, these two dudes were getting after it. They, they were, faces were red, tempers were hot, veins were popping out, volume was raised, and sadly, the only thing that was achieved out of all of that was separation. The only other time that that original word was used in the New Testament was in Revelation chapter 6, verse 14. And you can mark that off in your margin. Revelation chapter 6, verse 14, it says that the sky vanished. That's the same word. The sky separated. The sky paroxysmed like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. You picture that scene in your mind and that's the kind of event that was happening between Barnabas and Paul. It's the kind of argument that they were having. That's the kind of sharp disagreement that they were having. This wasn't a friendly parting of ways. There weren't any you know, bro hugs or handshakes or hugs or any of that kind of stuff. There wasn't any of that. The son of encouragement and the mighty apostle Paul tore their relationship apart. And the church had to take sides. Look at the second part of verse 39 through verse 41. And there, uh, the second part, starting with Barnabas. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the church. I got to tell you, this, this, Verse. This section was the hardest part of my study this week. I wanted desperately to make the text say something different than it says. But I can't. Neither can you. I mean, I dove, I tore into stuff and all that kind of stuff to see exactly who it was that the church was commending. I wanted desperately for the church to be commending Barnabas and Mark and Silas and Paul on their way. That's what I wanted desperately to happen. It's not what happened. Now, I don't want to bore you with all the details, but that's not what happened. 
You can't even say that the church, by by looking at the original text, you can't even say that the church was commending Paul's choice of Silas. That'd be another way out. Say the, the church was just excited that Paul chose Silas. Can't say that. No, the text is as clear as it can be that the church was clearly commending Paul. I'm sure they wished Barnabas and Mark well. It seems to indicate that Barnabas and Mark took off before uh, Paul and Silas did. I'm sure the church prayed for Barnabas and Mark, but they clearly sided with Paul. Now, I told you before, I think Barnabas was right in wanting to take John Mark with him. I think Paul was wrong in not wanting, not exercising that forgiveness or whatever, and want to take John Mark with him. So if that's the case, why did the church side with Paul? I think there's only one answer. I think they commended Paul because of his God-ordained office. Because of who God appointed Paul to be. Who did, who did Jesus appoint Paul to be? An apostle, right? Jesus gave him that office. He appointed him as an apostle. He was specifically and uniquely called by God to that office. The issue with Mark was at best, was it, was at best a, a practical matter and at worst a personal matter, a matter of preference. By virtue of Paul's office, That should have been his call. Right or wrong? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, how far does that go? It certainly doesn't go as far as... as biblical or doctrinal issues. If there are biblical or doctrinal issues, then of course you're not going to obey somebody who's going to lead you into heresy or into false teaching or any of those kind of things. But it would include the direction and the nature and the composition of the mission, of the ministry team, even if Paul was making a mistake. Now, should Barnabas have given him counsel? Of course he should. But Paul would have been wise to have taken Barnabas' counsel instead of rejecting it. But when Paul didn't take Barnabas' counsel, Barnabas should have submitted anyway. Now here's the temptation. When you're the one that's giving counsel and it's not being heeded by leadership, it's tempting to say, well, I'm just going to submit just so that I can sit back and watch the train wreck. Right? Right? That wouldn't be the, that's not real submission. Now, Barnabas should have submitted to Paul's leadership, not just so that he could watch the train wreck and sit back one day and say, yep, see, I told you so. But he should have submitted so that he could participate, joyfully participate in what the Lord was going to do through the growth and development of his chosen instrument, Paul. The office of apostolic leadership in the church ceased when the canon of Scripture was completed. We've talked about this before. But God continues to bless the church with the office of pastoral leadership. 
Now take that however you want to, but Hebrews 13, 17 still applies. And it doesn't apply from my advantage, it applies for your advantage. Now as your pastor, do I make dumb decisions? Please don't say amen. I I do. I, I know I make dumb decisions. I make dumb decisions all the time. But my dumb decisions don't give you an excuse to take your toys and go home. If if you're looking for a perfect pastor, that ain't going to happen. If you're looking for somebody who is willing to take counsel and who enjoys taking counsel and who bears the weight of your souls and who will one day give give an account, then that's what your pastor should be. My dumb decisions should never be cause for divisions. Now, if I preach heresy or if my lifestyle doesn't match what I preach then you need to call me on it. And if need be, fire me for it. Certainly if I preach heresy. (laughs) But short of that, a pastor needs to have the latitude to make leadership decisions, and I thank you that you as a church joyfully give me that that latitude. (laughs) Um, How many times have you heard me say, well, we've got another crazy idea, Right? And I, I, I praise God every day that you give me the latitude to come up with and voice and implement crazy ideas and you joyfully submit and participate in those crazy ideas. Now, not, certainly not all of those crazy ideas are going to work. And, and trust me, sometimes I get, I get good, wise counsel on some of the things about those crazy ideas that are not going to work, and I need that. But I can honestly say that I, like Hebrews 13, 17 says, I can honestly say that I keep watch over your souls with joy and not groaning. And that's the pastor's greatest joy. And I know that that will be an advantage to you. Because that's what the Bible says, right? There's no, ad, there's no advantage in an adversarial relationship between pastor and people, just like there would have been no advantage in an adversarial relationship between Paul and the church at Antioch. Now, even though I think Paul made a mistake here, I thank God that the church commended him. Do you see how the church commended him, though? They commended him in the grace of the Lord. Isn't that, isn't that what's needed in our relationships? We desperately need the grace of the Lord. Amen? We desperately need to extend grace to one another. Now think about it. Paul refused to extend grace to Mark by, allowing him, by not allowing him a second chance. And Barnabas refused to extend grace to Paul by submitting to him as an apostle. Paul refused to extend grace to Barnabas by listening to him and by by heeding his counsel. So in all of those ways, they were refusing. Paul and Barnabas were both refusing to extend grace. Who was the only one that extended grace? The church. And the church extended grace. Grace, the grace of the Lord to Paul. That church could see the rift that 
had grown between Paul and Barnabas. They could see the ungracious way that Paul was dealing with Mark. They could see where Paul was falling short of good apostolic leadership. They could have easily taken up sides. They could have had Team Barnabas on one side and Team Paul on the other side and split the church right down the middle. But instead, based on Paul's position alone, they extended commendation to Paul when it wasn't deserved. That's grace, isn't it? Because of the completely undeserved grace they extended to Paul, verse 41 says that he was able to accomplish the work that God had called him to do. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. The office of apostle needed that kind of grace, just like the office of pastor needs that kind of grace. Paul needed that kind of grace for him and the church at Antioch to accomplish their mission together. And listen, I need that kind of grace for you and I to accomplish our mission together. Amen? See, Paul and Barnabas split when they didn't have to. And the church didn't split when it easily could have. Because of the grace they extended, God's mission was accomplished. So let me just quickly, let me give you five quick quick takeaways for you to consider from this passage. The first quick takeaway is if you insist on getting your own way in church, submission is hard to learn. Barnabas had really good reasons for taking John Mark with him, didn't he? Now, Paul's reasons didn't seem so good, but Paul was holding a biblical office of leadership over Barnabas. Even though Barnabas was responsible for bringing Paul to Antioch in the first place, even though Barnabas had been the leader and the, the position switched, Barnabas was in a, Paul was in a position of leadership over Barnabas. By insisting on having his own way, Barnabas missed the blessing and advantage of joyfully obeying and submitting to the leaders that were appointed over him. He missed the blessing of actively supporting a man who would stand accountable for watching over his soul. So that was first. Second, if you insist on getting your own way in the church, wise counsel is hard to take. Submission's hard to learn. Wise counsel is hard to take. You know, Paul made, <laughs> Paul had his mind made up before Barnabas ever opened his mouth, didn't he? As I said, I think Barnabas was right in his desire to restore a young man who'd made a mistake. But one mistake was way too many for Paul. He said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put up with it. Nobody was going to tell him any different. Not even the son of encouragement was going to tell him any different. Not even the one who had stuck his neck, had stuck his neck out for Paul when the churches were still viewing Paul as a terrorist. Not even the one who brought him under his wing. If Paul had listened to Barnabas' wise counsel, he could have had the blessing of extending the kind of grace to John Mark that he had received. Third, if you insist on getting your own way in church, diversity is hard to achieve. You know, Paul was fiery and he was bold and he was confrontational. You, you read his letters, you see the kind of personality that Paul had. And Paul was probably not one that you would snuggle up real close to. But Barnabas, 
Barnabas' very name meant son of encouragement. Barnabas was encouraging and supportive and understanding. Their personalities and giftings, when they worked together under the inspiration or under the influence of the Holy Spirit, their personalities made a perfect team. They complemented each other beautifully. But when those same personalities were left uncontrolled by the Holy Spirit, well, they clashed terribly, didn't they? And that became the source of their split. Their diversity, their God-created, God-ordained diversity became the means, the source of their split. God blesses us with a beautiful diversity in here. Amen? He blesses us with a beautiful diversity of backgrounds and ages and tastes and preferences and giftings. And He does it to accomplish the mission that He's called us to. It takes all of those diverse giftings to build the church that He wants to build. But if we insist on getting our own way, we're going to end up surrounded by people who look like us and who think like us and who act like us and have the same tastes and preferences in us. And guess what? That's called a country club. It's not called a church. Fourth, if you insist on getting your own way in church, regrets are hard to avoid. You know, this is the last time in the book of Acts where Barnabas is mentioned. Outside of a historical review in the, in the book of Galatians, when Paul is reflecting back on some of the things that's already happened in Acts, Paul only mentions Barnabas one other time in 1 Corinthians. And that's really only in passing. From this point forward, their relationship was permanently severed. It was irreparably broken. How sad is that? Toward the end of his life, when Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Timothy, only Luke is with me. He's encouraging Timothy to hurry up and come. He says, only Luke is with me. He encourages Timothy to come and to bring John Mark with him, but there's no mention of Barnabas. Now, to say why is is speculation, but don't you think in those moments when Paul was in a pit, in a dungeon, in the last moments of his life, don't you think that he would have longed to have had the son of encouragement with him? He's insisting on getting your own way in the church, not only damages, but it severs relationships. And any time a relationship is damaged, any time a relationship is severed, it brings heartache. It brings regrets, doesn't it? Finally, and this one's encouraging. If you insist on getting your own way in church, God's still going to accomplish His work. Amen? That's the beautiful thing is God is bigger than our pettiness, isn't He? That's encouraging to me. See, God is sovereign. God will not let petty disputes get in the way of the work that He's promised to accomplish. As a matter of fact, this ugly split between Paul and Barnabas, it resulted in two mission teams going in different directions to accomplish the work that God wanted accomplished. Among other things, God used Barnabas to restore John Mark to where John Mark is the one who wrote the Gospel of Mark in our Bibles. John Mark was a close companion of Peter and recorded many of what of, of, of Peter's words in our Scripture. He restored John Mark. 
We know what God accomplished through Paul, and we're going to see that as we continue in our study through the book of Acts. You know, this week, man, it was just like I was, was continually bombarded with junk going on in um, churches in our area. This isn't churches across the country. This is churches in our immediate area. Heard this week about a church in our area that voted out their pastor. Of the five people that were there, three of them voted against him and two of them abstained. So it was a dead church voting out a dead pastor. Many of you know the history of our own church. Two other churches in our area closed down within the past few months. Another two churches in our area are in the process of merging. That's a good thing, but where there were two churches, there are now one. Just this week, I was told about another church whose pastor left and took most of the congregation with him. Another one's in a fight over who to call as pastor. Another pastor in our area has asked me to pray for him um, and is giving me daily heartbreaking updates about the fights between him and his deacons. The point is, churches all around us are in turmoil and strife because the people inside those churches are insisting on having their own way. And because of people's hard-heartedness and people's hard-headedness, God will allow sharp disagreements. He will allow paroxysms in those churches to destroy them. But even though churches split and die and fail, praise God that His work will prevail. Amen? Church, listen to me. God's work will continue and God's work will flourish with us or without us. So we got a choice to make. We have to choose if we want God to do His work through us or if we want Him to do His work in spite of us. That's what our choice is. And if God's going to do His work through us, then He's only going to do it through us being together. We use the word family around here a lot. That's because I I believe that God is creating us as a family. He's binding us together as a family. Uh, As I said, I do the things that I do with joy. But if if that ever stops... God will quit working through us. God will only do His work through us together if we don't insist on having our own way. And that only comes when each of us learns submission. It only comes when each of us is willing to take wise counsel. It only comes when each of us is willing to do the hard work to achieve diversity. And it only comes when each of us does everything that we can to heal and mend broken relationships. Only one of those things will happen is if we remember the full extent of grace that has been poured out on us, grace that we have freely received from Jesus, grace that we didn't deserve from Jesus. And because of that grace that we have received from Jesus, then we should freely extend it to others, whether they deserve it or not. 
Let me ask you, have you received that grace this morning? Jesus freely offers that grace to all who will believe. I'm going to ask you not to wait. During the invitation, you come, and I'll show you how to receive that free offer of Jesus' grace. But listen, if you're like most of us here, and you have received that free offer of grace, do you need to extend that to somebody else? Do you have an emotional rift between yourself and a brother or sister in Christ? If you do, I'm begging you, don't ignore it. Whether it's somebody that's in here or whether it's somebody from the past that was in here or whether it's somebody, some other believer somewhere else, if you have a rift in a relationship with a brother or sister in Christ, I'm begging you, don't ignore it. Deal with it. Go to them. Repent. If it's somebody in here, hey, when we, when we sing the invitation, get up, walk across the aisle, go, go hug their neck and repent. However you need to deal with it. It doesn't mean that you have to agree with them about whatever the core issue was. But it does mean that you're extending the grace that you received freely from Christ to somebody who might not deserve it. I'm just asking you, don't wait. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, first of all, for grace. The grace that you have freely offered to each and every one of us through the blood of your Son. Father, I thank you that even though there's absolutely nothing we could possibly do to earn your favor, you extended grace to us. Father, I thank you that while we were yet sinners, you extended your grace by Christ dying on the cross for us. While a relationship with you was farthest, was the farthest thing from our mind, you loved us enough to pursue us. You loved us enough for your Holy Spirit to draw us. You loved us enough that your Son shed his blood for us. You loved us enough to buy us back and redeem us and save us. And hold on to us forever. Oh, Father, if there's one here this morning who's not trusted Jesus as Lord and Master and Savior, who's not experienced that free offer of grace, oh, God, I would ask that you would burn in their hearts their absolute need for Christ as Lord and Master and Savior. And, Father, for those of us who have trusted Jesus as Lord and Master and Savior, Father... Father, bring to our mind any that we would need to extend grace to. Father, if there is one who we have hurt, one who we have um, have a broken relationship with, 
Lord, I would ask that even now that you would bind those relationships up. Oh God, we don't, we don't want to see a rift like the rift between Paul and Barnabas. Father, just as we saw the, see the images throughout the Gospels of Jesus healing broken limbs and healing blind eyes and deaf ears, Father, we ask that you would heal broken relationships right now. Father, we can't do this on our own. We desperately need your Spirit to do it in and through us. So, Father, make us willing. In Jesus' precious name, amen.